Okay, we're in the book of Acts today. We're going to be in chapter, oh good, chapter 21. And this may feel like a slightly different message than usual. And it may actually end up being three small messages packed back to back and stapled together. Um, but we're, we've had a series of messages on the Holy Spirit, life in the Holy Spirit. The Crash Course Calvary this morning was about being a part of a charismatic church. And we're going to look at this fairly brief story from the book of Acts where you actually see a prophetic gift in action. If you've been through the New Testament recently, you know, once Jesus goes back to heaven, you get more than a few books of the Bible talking about prophecy in the New Testament, but we actually have precious few examples of what it looks like, which I always thought was kind of cool, gives us lots of room to explore. However, I thought it would be good just to go through a prophetic person giving a prophetic word and seeing how the church processes it, just as like, hey, an example of how it worked at least one time in the history of the church. Cool? And then from there, um, I'm going to say some other stuff. So just bear with me if it seems like I'm figuring this out as I go. You're, you are on point. Good? So I'm going to pray. Father God, would you help us? Um, I really believe you do this. And most of us here know it's true. You are the living God. And you do make your presence felt in human lives through the Holy Spirit. And it is your desire in the church, we believe, that we would have the life of God expressed here so that people would come and say, your God is real. And so, God, I pray that you would help us together continue this walk of faith and humility before you, and that you would use your word to build up our faith and our love in Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, a little bit of background. And if there's any chance that TV can show what's on here, that's great. But if it doesn't work out, I still love you, and we're family, and it's all wonderful. All right, we're going to read this, and I'll give some background, and then I'll make some comment. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, which is a city in the Middle East-ish or off the Mediterranean Sea, we arrived at Ptolemy. It's one of those words where you forget that the P is there, like pterodactyl. And we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. So this is the Apostle Paul. He's traveling, and he's um, going from kind of church to church to church. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. Anybody remember Philip from a few weeks ago? Here's him many years later. Who, had, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. So just a typical activity at church. Someone takes some of your clothing and ties themselves up and says, this is your future, right? Right. Verse 12 
When we heard this, we and the people there urged him, the Apostle Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. And these are the very words of God. So, mini-sermon number one. Sorry, background first, then mini-sermon number one. Um, God created this wonderful world full of all kinds of creatures and plants and animals, and the very tippy-top most important thing he made in his creation was human beings, us, male and female, made in his image, with a specific job to help God represent himself to the world, the invisible spirit God making visible human beings so that the creation could look at us and say, what is God like? And then we would just point at each other and just say, it's like you. What is God like as a basketball coach? That's you. What is God like as a grandma? That's Agatha. What is God like as a mom? That's Jackie. What is God like at a semi-awkward, as a semi-awkward preacher? That's me. Uh, what is God like as a plumber? Not me, no, no, please don't ask me to fix anything ever unless you've got lots of money and time on your hands. <laughs> but that was our mission, to answer the question, what is God like in all different varieties of activities? It's us. God's like us. Everything went catastrophically wrong when the first mom and dad decided they didn't want to submit to God's word and the privilege but boundaries that God had given them in their life and they tried to transgress it and become more like God than he'd actually made them and they welcomed sin and death and destruction into the world and we've been suffering ever since but God being rich in mercy and so much grace and love decided he didn't want to just leave us to this fate that we deserved and he himself came as a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, his own son, God in the flesh, in the world, and he lived this perfect life, which was a very supernatural life, uh, kind of quietly until he turned 30, then all of a sudden, kaboom, everybody he meets gets healed. Every demon that comes in the presence of Jesus gets thrown out, and Jesus becomes very famous, and everyone thinks he's going to become the king, and he does, but in a weird way, because his mission was not just to become the top of the government in the world, but actually to die for the sins of his people. So he's crucified and killed and goes into the grave, very, very dead, but comes back on the third day in this resurrection life, in a permanent resuscitation, and goes to heaven to rule from heaven until his return. This is background, background. In the meantime... So that we are not left alone, he sent the Holy Spirit from heaven to come into the church so that the life of Jesus is with us and can be expressed through us. So that we are not alone in this life because the presence of God is with us and our weakness is more than compensated for by having the strength and power of God flowing through us in the Holy Spirit. That's the plan. And one of the ways that God does this gets you the title prophet. <laughs> okay, I'm talking around this a little bit. God has the ability to put ideas and thoughts into people in such a way that they can communicate to other people God's perspective on a situation. 
That's one of the many things he can do through the Holy Spirit. He can get someone to tell you a message that is a valid and accurate communication from God. Not the same as Holy Scripture, which is infallible and perfect, but still reliable and truly from God. Okay, that's the background. Now here's the story again. The Apostle Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He's been ministering for a long time. This is later on in his ministry. And as he's going there, people keep telling him, it's going to be a bad deal for you. And he comes to this house where Philip is there, and we know that Philip is legit, good old teleporting Philip, the inspiration for Star Trek and many other things, I'm sure. And he's later on in life, and he has these four daughters, and they all prophesy. They are known for their capacity to hear from God in such a way that they convey reliable information from God to people, which isn't the same as teaching from the Bible. And then another guy comes down, and his name is Agabus. Any pregnant ladies and you don't know what the name is yet, here's a valid biblical name that nobody uses. Now, if you remember the book of Acts, Agabus has appeared before. Many years earlier, he accurately predicted a famine that was going to be hitting Jerusalem, that the church heard as a word from God, and they started collecting money for the church in Jerusalem so that they could be taken care of through this famine that was coming. And so Agabus has been established as someone who has this gift of prophecy in the church, and here he is functioning again. And he gives, and so watch how it kind of works. So Agabus is a bit of an artistic guy. He doesn't mind a little symbolic stuff. Anybody know some artistic-y, prophetic-y people who need a belt before they can get the message out, so to speak? And so he takes Paul's belt, and he wraps himself up with it, and he says the owner of this belt is going to also be, be bound and... When you get to Jerusalem, this is going to happen to you. And the people receive it, and they spend some time processing it. And ultimately, Paul determines that this is a mainly accurate prediction of the future, but one that he is going to embrace by faith and not see as a warning to run away from it. Okay? But let me just point out a couple details. It is an accurate prediction. He does get arrested, but it's not 100% like detail correct. And this is what I mean. Um, Technically, Paul is not bound by the Jews, but bound by the Gentiles, because when he gets there, he starts this riot, and the Jews are going to kill him, and then the Romans come, who are being the police of Jerusalem, and they stop the riot, And they're the ones that arrest Paul. But ultimately the plan was God wanted someone to go and preach the gospel to Caesar. And you can't just go and welcome yourself into Caesar's presence to preach the gospel. And so what he needed was a Roman to get arrested and say, I want to go and take my case to Caesar, which was a right of a Roman citizen. And I know this is a bit of a data dump, but you're doing just fine. And the way God got the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to Caesar was by having Paul arrested in Jerusalem. And in order to save his life, Paul had to appeal to Caesar, which meant he got to go to Rome to plead his case in the presence of Caesar. That's the big picture. 
I want someone to go tell Caesar the good news of Jesus. And the way it's going to happen is having Paul arrested in Jerusalem and needing to save his life by saying, I appeal to the Supreme Court, which is exactly what Paul sounded like because God likes to use the unusual. But it was a mostly accurate prediction of the future, but not prophesy in part. When we're hearing from God and communicating from God, we should have the humility to know that we see a bit of the picture and people have the right to discern how much is actually for them. But you see it right here. So that's mini-message number one. Look at how this worked. God literally did tell someone the future for somebody else that came true, and God can do it. That's not hard. The present is just as easy for God to see as the future as the past. It's part of God's godness. He sees it all. And one of the things he does to prove his godness to people is to give accurate predictions of the future, not so that you can win the stock market, but so that you can realize that you live in the creation of a God with unlimited power and realize that if you're not right with him, you're not right. Because you can't run away from him, and you can't escape him, and you can't hide from him, and you can't deceive him or manipulate him. He knows everything. And if you're not right with him, you're not okay. But the good news is that Jesus came so that everybody who wants to get right with God can put their trust in the guy who died for them. And get re-adopted into the family of God. Forgiven of all your sins. And given this supernatural life until you see Jesus face to face. But it is true. He, you cannot run from God. He knows what you're doing on the internet. He knows what you're thinking when you lie in your bed. He knows all those secret thoughts that you don't talk to anybody about. And we cannot run and we cannot hide. The only thing we can do is turn to him. Say help and save and rescue. And he will. So mini sermon number one over. God knows the future and he can get people to accurately communicate it to other people. Mini sermon number two. Look how the church processes. Agabus comes and gives this prediction to Paul. And everyone around Paul, they think, Esto no bueno. Eh, we're not super excited about this. They think it's real. They know that Paul's going there. It isn't out of the realm of possibility for Paul to start another riot. He has this habit of turning cities upside down. I think only Athens is the city that Paul ever left peacefully. If you read through Acts, that's, there's only one time Paul ever just kind of decided to leave a city and didn't get chased out or threatened out or arrested out of the city. And that was Athens because they were too smart for their own good and they were too wise to even get offended at the truth. And so he's just kind of like, ah, wasting my time. I'll go somewhere else. So they think that this is an accurate prediction. And they start to try to tell Paul how to respond to it. Out of their own feelings. Out of their own perceptions. 
right? Even, I think, it's, if you read this uh, together, it sounds like even Agabus probably was telling Paul not to go. And even Luke, who's writing this gospel, he's part of the we. Luke's there. The person writing the Bible later on is there, and he's hearing this going, Don't go to Qatar. You can't even hold hands there. You hear me? Not safe. And Paul has to help them not get obsessed with misunderstanding God's perspective on the situation. Because this is kind of what's at issue here with, with God taking the time to communicate to people about their specific situation. Is that he must have already decided that the church is at risk at misunderstanding his purposes in the world. And he wants to intervene with accurate information about his own perspective so that the people of God can act with faith and obedience to what they ought to do. In this moment, as their prophet processing it, everyone but Paul is trying to circumvent the will of God. And it's because they love him. And they know he's dangerous. To himself, more than anybody else, really. But do you see how they're getting it wrong? Even Luke... And probably Agabus too, the guy who delivered the message, is applying this thing wrong. And so they need Paul to help them. And if you've read a little bit earlier, you know that people have been telling Paul for a while there's just like death and destruction coming. And Paul's accepted this. He's just like, I'm not getting warned so I don't go. I'm getting warned so that when the imprisonment comes, we get to say, God is getting his plan. (laughs) Because it's so easy for us when we get sick or when the lockdown comes, or when the money's not flowing, for us to say, everything is going wrong. When in order for Paul's mission in life to be fulfilled, he needed to get arrested in Jerusalem. And the only person willing to tell him the truth about that was God himself. So sometimes we really need to hear God's perspective on a situation because all of our goodwill will get it wrong. We really aren't as good at reading God's plan in the world as we think we are. Or as YouTube or Twitter will make us think we are. You know what I loved about the midterms? Anybody follow the U.S. midterms? Everyone was wrong again. And then the people who predicted that it would go this way or this way, 10 seconds after they're proven completely wrong, are trying to convince us they know why they were wrong the first time and what's going to happen next. Right? 
And I worship God who is able to so pull the rug out of an entire continent. To so make everybody get it so wrong so that we would humble ourselves and say, only God knows the future. And I want to be right with him. Whether he tells me what it is or not, I need to be right with the one who knows. Because we don't know. We don't know. And we can't control. Oh my goodness, we can't control. All we can do is trust the one who is in control. Anybody fear, feel a little bit out of control right now? Yeah. <laughs> you want to come to church? You are in control of your life. Repeat these five prayers daily and you will get everything you want. Right? And buy my miracle oil. When I first got saved, oh man, I think his name was Peter Pop. And he's like, we went to this well in Russia and there was this water coming out of it and you buy this and everything you want will happen. I'm just like, what? (laughs) And because I'm from the world, I know this guy's a scammer. I didn't fall for it. I don't fall for nothing. You know, when people phone me on my phone, even when the ID says Jackie Belfort, I don't totally believe it until I hear her voice. Because most of the internet is scams. <laughs> Maybe I'm a bit cynical. But I've also never been built out of anything. Whatever. But look how they need to process. And I think there is a value and a, uh, a good way of doing, dealing with this stuff. Just to say, ultimately, the person receiving the word needs to come to faith for what God is saying. And it's not our job to try to control people with prophecy. It's not Agabus's job to try to control Paul with prophecy. They submit the word to them and they submit the results to God. Everyone gets to be humble. Everyone gets to trust in the Lord. And it worked really well. But notice how much love is in the room too. The Christians got it wrong because they desperately loved Paul. And Paul, hearing them get it wrong, is heartbroken, heartbroken, heartbroken to tell them they're getting it wrong and he still needs to go. Because the room is just saturated with brother and sister love. Which is really the only way spiritual gifts work. That's why we have the the marriage passage of 1 Corinthians 13. As there was a church in Corinth that were getting it all wrong. They were doing it all powerfully and they were getting it all wrong. And Paul's just waving his arm go, it takes love and it's through love and it's for love. Ah, you can't prophesy to someone you don't love and you can't receive a prophecy from someone you don't love and it's never going to come together unless you love each other. I like to annoy my kids when they start to squabble a little bit. I just start singing, 
love, love, love. It's the most important thing. And they start rolling their eyes. Love, love, love. It's the most important thing. And they're like, we get it. You can stop. Love, love, love. It's the most important thing. It's the most important thing. Yeah? Well, hey, man, it's on the internet now. It's forever. (laughs) But you can see how they, they literally had a fight about a prophetic word, and it came together because they loved each other, and they could process together. They didn't have a church split over this. So, end of message number two. The prophecy was true, but not 100% factually accurate, which leads us to trust the word of God more and be gracious about prophecy. And it all worked because they really loved each other while they were figuring it out. End of sermon number two. (laughs) Beginning of sermon number three, which may 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 or may not connect to the other things. Can I just read this one line again? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus Christ, or the Lord Jesus. I, I am so uncomfortable being around Paul sometimes. I read stuff like that, and I just want, I, I want to resign. From existence. <laughs> Because you read, and I don't want to do like a, they were like this in the Bible. I think that everybody in the room when Paul said this, and they looked in his eyes, and they knew it was true. I think that's what stopped the conversation, because they they understood that in his heart, Paul was already crucified for Jesus. And at some point, history would catch up with him, but in his heart, he was already dead for Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? He didn't actually have a lot to lose because he'd already settled that in his heart. And uh, I just think I'm so desperate to settle this in my heart. Because I don't think you get the Bible until you've settled this in your heart all the way. I'm not saying you don't get anything. I'm just saying there's something about reading books written by people who were already dead in their hearts for the sake of Jesus that it's hard to understand Paul's letters unless you understand he's writing as someone who's already dead. And I don't know if we do a good job of living like that in Canada. I feel like we've got a lot to lose. Because we're really alive to our lives. You know what I'm talking about? I, I think if I heard this, you go to Jerusalem and you're going to get imprisoned. I would say, when's the next bus heading back to Steinbeck? You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot to lose. We think, we think, we think there's a lot to lose. But if we're living like there's a lot to lose, we're already not in reality. Because Jesus already told us that we can't keep anything we got right now. And that anything we do lose in this life, he's willing to give back to us a hundredfold, even in this life, but definitely, definitely, definitely in the next one. 
I'm just floored again. Can I put a sharp point on it, Qatar team? Is that okay? Like if one of you doesn't come back. We're going to press into going, you're the heroes. And we were not worthy to have you as church members. Not, well, they made a mistake. Right? Like we're reading the same book. You know what I'm talking about? And I just, I just want to wave my arms. I, I know I'm not being clear 100%. I just want to wave my arms for, aren't we tired of having lives and how it doesn't work in the kingdom? Aren't, aren't you tired of not being... We sold out. Like, it, it works better when you're dead. How do you say this, Jesus? Help me. Uh, your marriage works better when you're dead. Uh, your job will work better when you're dead. Um, your church life, you'll be so much more happy when you're dead. Uh, your church will look better to you when you're dead. Uh, you'll be okayer with me when you're dead. Um, that's not a threat. Uh, you'll be okayer with Canadian politics once you're really dead. Um, you'll be okayer with U.S. politics when you're really, really dead. Um, you'll be okayer with the World Health Organization shenanigans once you're dead. Um, you'll, you'll be more confident for prophesying once you're dead. You'll be happier to move in the Spirit when you're really dead. Um, you'll be less judgmental of Holy Spirit activities once you've really died. Um, you'll be less judgmental of other churches when you've really, really, really crucified yourself. Um, You'll love people so much better when you're dead. You'll see the goodness in other people, and you'll see the treasure that's kind of hidden sometimes underneath stuff once you're really, really dead. You know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about yet? This is a better life. It's so hard to get there in Canada. Because it takes a daily... Well, sheesh, I'm just going to quote scripture. It's like you have to crucify, crucify yourself daily. Wait, wait, wait. That's what Jesus said we had to do. To pick up your cross daily to follow him. Is nobody's life verse. But, but it will be better. It's going to be so much better. It's going to be better. And I think this, this is where Jesus is taking us. So, again, I'm, I'm figuring this out. Okay. I'm going to try to put some legs to this. This is how I'm trying to live this. I've told Greg recently that I live with a resignation letter in my heart for pastoring at Calvary Chapel because it's so easy to turn any leadership role, especially in a church that's growing, into an idol of self-worth. It's so dangerous for us. It's so dangerous. And literally, Greg, if you told me I don't think this is working anymore, I would resign. And Ron McLean, who was here a few weeks ago, we had this big kerfuffle that happened about a year ago, and I made some huge mistakes, and I sent him an email when we began to work it through, and I just said, Ron, I've really blown it, and if you think I shouldn't do this anymore, I'm out of here. You just tell the word, and I'm done. Because it doesn't work to pastor with... Not dead. You have to be dead to the title. You have to be dead to the influence. You have to be dead to the laughter of when you tell a joke. You have to be dead to do this. 
But it's not just me. It needs to be us. You have to be dead to be a mom. To die to self and to plead for the life of Jesus to be everything in your heart. So that the little ones who are so vulnerable, so vulnerable, can meet God in our homes. You have to be dead to be a dad because we, we are so easily offended and our pride and our insecurity is so easily triggered. We have to die to ourselves so that our, the vulnerable people in our homes, our, our ladies and our sisters and our daughters and our sons, can meet the life of God and not just the sins of Rob. And we need to be so unimpressed by the good things happening at Calvary Chapel and be so dead so that we can keep finding the life of Jesus today and the joy of meeting new people who are made in the image of God so that everything God wants for us will happen and we won't miss it because we're trying to do a good life and avoid Jerusalem. And that's, that's what I'm trying to say. So, point number one, God knows everything, and he can talk to you. We're going to have some people praying during the song. And if, when, we, when I was talking, you're just like, I would like to hear from God. This is what I would encourage you to do. Come forward, humbly, maybe nothing will happen. God can choose to make you wait, and he's not a bad God if he chooses to make you wait. His timing is perfect. He's not a microwave. Just come up here and say, can you pray for me? And don't tell anybody what you want but Jesus. And then see what happens. Don't verbally process anything. Don't try to convince anybody. Don't try to get them to understand. Just come to get prayer. The other thing you can do is you can ask a prophetic person at Calvary to come and find you out. That would be even better. Just keep telling Jesus, I want a word from you. And put it on someone's heart, but I'm not telling anybody. I'm experienced kind of like this. Have you ever done this thing where people trade off and they get numbers and you go and pray for a word for each other and then you come back and you don't know who you were praying for? Anybody done this before? Yeah, we've done that sometimes. Maybe we'll do this on the leadership meeting on Wednesday. Just We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit more Wednesday night. You're all invited to come. If, if you're nervous about coming, you should probably come. But I was paired up and I was praying for this person. I didn't know who it was. And I got the story from Exodus about Moses fleeing from Pharaoh. Do you know which story I'm talking about there? Well, I found out who I got partnered with. And it was a guy named uh, Jean-Paul. And I had no idea. But he was in Canada because he claimed refugee status from his home country. But he'd lied. He just wanted to live in a rich place. And his plan was to stay in Canada for a long time. But here I am giving him this word. Actually, you know what? Moses got a little while not in Egypt, but God's will is for you to go back. And I didn't know it, but John Paul went back to his room after this, and he was just so, like, rattled. Because he's trying to pull this thing off in Canada, and God's like, I got your number. And you know what? He did go back. And he's got one of the most influential soccer ministries in Africa right now. Where other countries are like, can you come? What you're doing here, can you come? 
Can you come do what you're doing in our country? Because it's crazy. But part of the process of him going home was somebody just going, I got the story of Moses running away from Egypt and God sending him back. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know you. Bye. Well, actually, we went ice fishing later that day, but... So if you need to hear from God, tell God. If you're uncertain about how to process spiritual gifts, you're going to need to learn to love your brothers and sisters to do this right. And that's on you. And point number three, your life will be better the more dead you are to it as your eyes are fixed on Jesus. And I'm out. Let's sing a song.